Dear fellow redeemed, on this Reformation Sunday, in a few minutes, we'll consider especially the words of Jesus when he had said that heaven and earth would pass away, but his words would never pass away. But before we get there, we start with the first trick. The first temptation, as you well know, um, that of Satan contradicting the only command that God had given. And contradicting it in a way that says, God isn't trustworthy. Did God really say? And then every single time that God continued to reveal more about his plan of salvation, and every single time that God narrowed down the line of the Savior, Satan inspired those of his followers, those under his control, to act against God's people. God had said to Adam and Eve there in the, uh, the discussion, the sermon at the tree, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And the first child was born, Cain, and the second child, Abel, and it didn't take long for the devil to think, maybe, just maybe, I can crush out God's promise by inspiring this, this Cain to oppose the believer. And so there lay Abel. And it looked as if God's promise had fallen, but it hadn't, as you all know. And then God narrowed it down still further, down to the family of Noah. Noah, who put in over a century building a gigantic boat. A gigantic boat to hold animals and, and food and the eight people of his own household. Eight people out of a world of who knows how many, one, two, three billion. And it looked as if God's plan was on the verge of disaster again. It looked as if God's plan was on the verge of being wiped out, destroyed, and forgotten until God stepped in with the flood. And then God narrowed it down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, the household of David. And David's family was down to one. The wicked queen Athaliah had taken over the throne and it's like the, the worst wicked stepmother you could ever think of, quite literally. And she killed like 70 of the descendants of David, except for this one infant child who was squirreled away to the temple, the one place where Athaliah never went. That one child. And he was kept there for a number of years, like five or six years. And the only reason that he was kept there is because the believers at that time looked at the word of God and they said that God's savior had to come from David's line and this was the only one left out of David's entire family line. And so as a result, they posted guard for 24 hours a day for like six years until the time came when they could crown this child king. During the entire period of history before the birth of the Savior, we see that repeated time and again. Where the main trick is to try to, try to lead the people astray. 
try to lead the Israelites into sin and into forgetting, forgetting God's promise. Try to lead the Israelites into idolatry or have the nation exterminated by an enemy. The only other trick that the devil had was to help them forget of God's promise, as if God were too long in keeping his promise. But then we fast forward, and we know the events of, of Christmas so well that there is Christmas, and there's almost no place for this child to be born. And then a few months later, when the Magi show up, King Herod is at it again. Who is this one who is born King of the Jews? The devil inspired another opponent to try and um, exterminate God's promise. And Jesus was absconded off to Egypt. During the entire period of time, all the way through Resurrection Sunday, it's almost as though the devil tried time and again to get the actual plan to fail. Tempt Jesus to sin. Tempt his followers to forget. <coughs> it seemed as though it seemed as though salvation was resting on just the razor's edge. Will Caiaphas and the Pharisees actually get to Jesus? Will they stone him to death? Will the people of Nazareth throw him off the cliff? Will Jesus give in to temptation? And even in that most dire of moments, when he prayed, Lord, if there is any other way, and the sweat fell like great drops of blood, you could bet and you could understand the temptation was extreme. And as he is there at the cross, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? If you are the Son of God, just prove it and then we'll believe in you. Not just the mocking and the unbelief, but that same temptation. Why? Why would you go through all of this for people like that? Why would you, Jesus, willingly endure the pain of hell itself so that people who hate you, reject you, and um, care nothing for you, and that's just the good ones, so that they would have eternity with you. And all the way up until resurrection moment and the descent into hell, the devil's greatest effort was to try and prevent the events from happening. If we can just exterminate Abel, then, then surely the Savior won't come from Abel's line. If we can exterminate the family line of David, then the Savior can't be born because God had limited his promise to that one family. If we can get the nation of Israel to be so assimilated and so alike the surrounding nations that they forget about, reject their Lord, then it won't take too long for them to totally dissolve as a people and the entire family line of Judah to say nothing of the entire family of Abraham would disappear. If we could get this Jesus to be killed when he was just a little toddler living in Bethlehem, or if we could throw him off the cliff, or at the very least just get him to sin or give up or use his divine power for his own good, then, then there would be nothing left to worry about. 
that all the efforts of the devil would have resulted in Jesus not following through. Thankfully, Jesus never gave in to sin. Thankfully, there was never any worry. I mean, yes, he could sin because he is true man, but he didn't. And the result is that he did all the work that he had promised and fulfilled all the prophecies that God had spoken. He had done all the work and fulfilled all the prophecies, and then the devil turns his attention once more. That if he couldn't, if he couldn't stop Christmas from coming, if he couldn't stop the resurrection from happening, then all he has to do is attack the certainty, the certainty and the clarity of the word of God. Did God really say, surely, surely you can't believe that book? Well, I believe in, I believe in a historical Bible, but there are just some details that, that don't match up with what we know today. All the certainty questions, many of which over the last hundred years actually grew up um, in Sandusky and Columbus. I've got a fantastic conference paper if you uh, would like to read that, or if you have trouble sleeping, I have that same conference paper for you. I didn't write it. It's fascinating, but it's exactly what the devil has always done. That if he cannot and could not prevent the events from actually happening, then the only recourse that he has is to take away the certainty that Christians have in that word of God. Either by dismissing that word of God and saying that that word of God doesn't actually say what it says. That the word of God somehow operates on different rules of grammar and, and history and rhetoric than the rest of literature in all time. Or to take away the certainty that God didn't actually say that your sin is forgiven, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but rather that God made it possible for you to be forgiven. That God provided the opportunity to have a second chance. That God said, if, if you commit your way to the Lord, then he will forgive you. That, that Jesus didn't die for all sins of all people, but he died for all sins of, of some people. And now it's up to you to live your life in a way to prove that you're part of those some people. Or that Jesus died for most of the sins of all people, but now it's up to you to take care of the rest. And have I got the solution for you? If all we talked about today were the different distortions and the different ways in which the devil has tried to take away the certainty that Christians have, that if the only thing we talked about today was how Satan tried to steal certainty from the Christian church, we could be here all day. And it would leave you with no certainty. But the bottom line for you and for me is that Jesus has still kept his word, that heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. That Jesus has still kept his word, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has effectively and actually done so. And that the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world isn't just proposing this to you as 
an historical fact for us to sing about. Not just an historical fact from 2,000 years ago, which it certainly is, but it's more than an historical fact. It's not just that on that third day Jesus rose from the dead and, and now I am absolutely confident of my forgiveness. But it's also that our Lord wants you to be so certain and sure that he's brought it home to you today. That even when Pastor Hagen stands up and says that your sin is forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ, that it's not just a recitation and a repetition of what happened in the past, but a reality that is today. A reality that this Jesus has forgiven your sin today. That when pastor or the elder says, take and eat, take and drink, that there's a certainty there. There's a certainty there that rests on the promise of Jesus and not on, on the thoughts and the worries of your own heart. There's a certainty there that says, my Lord has promised, even though I can't see it under a microscope, but based on the promises of this Jesus who rose from the dead, who raised himself from the dead, I have this sure and certain and unchanging promise that he's given me my forgiveness right now, just as sure as the taste on my tongue. That, that question of certainty was the central question of the Reformation. And at the time, the, the only major problem that they were dealing with was, how do I obtain, how do I receive this forgiveness? Did Jesus pay for most of the sins of all people? And now it's up to me to do the rest? Do I have to demonstrate that I'm worthy of forgiveness by the way that I live my life? Or, did Jesus die for the unworthy, take away the sins of all? And all it takes now is the Holy Spirit doing his work through the word to bring that forgiveness into my life right here and right now. And it's simple enough. It's simple enough that you and I hear that and it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, um, I'm a Lutheran or I've heard this enough times that I understand what's going on. But that simple truth is something that we need to repeat and rejoice about because there are so many other options. So many other options that have only uncertainty to offer. So many other options that leave the, the work left on your shoulders, either to prove that you are one of the elect or to do your work so that you take care of the sin that Jesus didn't die for. So much work would have been left to you and to me that the devil would use to inject uncertainty into historical reality of the resurrection. And so we rejoice today. We rejoice today that, that God in his goodness and in his grace preserved the word for his people. That the, the, the Bible was translated into the everyday language that people could read. We rejoice today that Christians, even 500 years and more ago, that Christians clearly said, here's what we believe, here's what we don't believe, and this is a doctrine, this is a teaching where I'm going to stake my life and my eternity. And the only reason 
The only way that that can happen is because of the clarity and the certainty of God's word. Exactly as, as Jesus had said, that heaven and earth may pass away, that asteroids may hurtle toward earth or be diverted by NASA, that nuclear war may brew up on the other side of the world or not, that heaven and earth may pass away, but his words will never pass away. That is his certain promise, that this word will remain forever. And the question for Christians in their confession of faith today, is that certain word enough? Is that certain word enough that I, I know it and I hold on to it, and there is nothing that I re would rejoice in more than to have this word? Is the truth of my forgiveness as free and full and complete? Is it enough to bring me joy each day? Is it enough to say that I know what my Lord has done, and this is a truth where I will stake my life in my eternity? Because this is the promise that Jesus gives, that he continues to build up your faith and mine through that same word, that when he distributes his body and blood exactly as he promised, he says, dear Christian, this is for you. Take and eat, take and drink. If you ever wondered if your forgiveness was done and complete, and if the historical fact of the resurrection, if that was enough, then gather around once more. Gather around once more and see your fellow Christians who are confessing the same thing. If you've ever wondered if there's any certainty for you and for me in an uncertain world, then hear what Jesus has to say. That heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Which means that his forgiveness for you is for today and tomorrow and forever. Amen.